This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Serena Rani Firminger. This week, we continue our Stop Asian Hate series about the intersection of anti-Asian hate and the film and television industry. You can find our previous episodes featuring Lexa Doig and Lee Shorten wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can look for our conversation with Mayumi Oshida in the coming weeks. Today, today, I am delighted to welcome actor Vincent Tong back to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Vincent Tong is a prolific voice actor and beloved stage performer. He's voiced all manner of beasts and animals and aliens and humanoids and inanimate objects on shows like My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, Ninjago, Masters of Spinjitzu, Mega Man, Fully Charged, Bob the Builder, Slug Terra, Quarter Gas Animated, multiple Barbie movies and Nerds and Monsters. And he's performed on stage in shows like Footloose, Mamma Mia in the Lord of the Rings, and in a wildly popular stint as Le Fou in the Arts Club's 2017 production of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. In his previous appearance on the podcast, Vincent spoke about on-screen representation and how it affects him as an Asian Canadian performer. Today, I want to further explore these issues and specifically how they relate to animation, to theater, and to how Asian Canadians and Asian Americans are perceived and treated in North America. Vincent Tong, welcome back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm back to the future. I'm here. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, this is not the future that I imagined, oh, Vincent Tong, and yet well, it, was, it was always there, always there. <laughs> um, okay, I want to start with a couple of big questions and then mm -hmm. zoom in on the animation and the theater scenes. Sure. So this is the big question. And then there's a big follow-up. Have you experienced racism in the Vancouver film and television industry? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to like, cause it's such a big word. And I feel like nowadays it's, it's becoming more acceptable to use that term to label what it is. You, talk, um, you mean racism? Racism. Using yeah. the word if racism. Have you experienced racism? Have, you know, yes, I have. And it can be as small as little comments here and there, or as big as overt um, slurs. Mm. But I mean, for me personally, in the film and TV industry in Vancouver, it's just, it's about the... 
it's about the opportunities. It's about going out for certain roles that are always, they always seem to be the same. Mm. And, uh, you know, if you look at my, I was cutting together my dramatic TV and film um, demo reel. And I was like, wow, if I didn't put down Arrow or um, Transporter or Flashpoint, you would think this is all the same show because I just played the gangster, you know? It's the same person all the time. And it's kind of sad. I was really sad when I cut it together. I was proud of my editing skills. But the, the, the fact that like all of these characters were identical, and this is like over a span of several years. And that in itself is just the, the proof of it. You know, that's yeah. the evidence of our, the racism within our industry. And it doesn't have to be just in, in Vancouver. It's all over. It's, it's the industry as a whole, you yeah. know, where, where Asians are, are pigeonholed, are stereotyped, and they sort of just fit into certain, certain boxes, yeah. um, unfortunately. So in that regard, yeah. Yeah, we're not given the opportunities. Or if you, if you are given the opportunities, they're, they're quite repetitive, And um, yeah, sometimes they require you to throw on accents that might not even be necessary. Mm. I, I appreciate you pointing out the fact that we haven't been using the word racism a lot when we talk about these kind of things. Um, And I've, I'll even admit like in, I have made a point of talking about of, of using the word racism when I even when even talking about, you know, the quote unquote microaggressions or thing that might seem quote unquote smaller. But w- mm-hmm. what do you think is the importance of using the word racism or another another term that I have been using more and more white supremacy? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the importance of using these kind of this kind of language when talking about uh, anti-Asian racism or, you know, racist stereotypes about Asian people in the film and television industry? Yeah, I think we're talking about it because it's a thing. It exists, you know, and it's about time we're actually talking about it. And more and more ears are listening to it. But I still feel like there's a lot more ears we need to to perk up. And um, it's hard for people to talk and label it or use words like white supremacy, um, a racist attacks or racism, because those are huge words. And, mm. and if you are living within a construct, a system, systematic racism, yeah. a system within our government, a system within our society, a system within our industry of how we portray characters or actors that are are so bloody talented but they've just played the best friends role or the lab tech or the gangster but they've never been given those opportunities yeah guess what it's a very white supremacist system that we're living under and that things are slowly changing but yeah we have to address it for what it is and that's not necessarily a bad thing because then we can go what can we do to change it what can we do to evolve it because yeah. we all are evolving. Guess what? Things have changed. Times have changed since 100 years ago. And that's a good thing. 
So yeah. I think it's good to be using these words and good to be having these conversations. And I think that's the, the main thing is to have a conversation, to educate each other um, about our cultures and about what, what we're feeling right now. Yeah. And a, a lot of the feeling is, is anger and, and um, frustration. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, let's, let's zoom in then. Mm. I don't know if it's zooming in or if it's just shifting the focus, but I want to talk about the animation realm um, and, and, and the ways like, how does it compare to the, you know, the on-screen dramatic television realm as far as, I was going to say diversity and inclusion, racism and white supremacy? Well, it's, it, animation is very different in terms of the fact that, yes, the actors are not necessarily seen mm. because we're animated, we're animated characters. And when I started doing animation, you know, several years now, I think like at least like 15 17 years now yeah. it was it was my avenue to actually portray good parts because i was finding it extremely hard to find those good roles in film and tv and finding it hard you know i broke into a little bit into theater but i really found that i could i could do something with my acting skills and chops to actually land me a good part with substance and can I just ask you a question though, right in there then? Yeah. Is that, was that upsetting to you? Like there's a part of me that like, I find that, I mean, <laughs> on one hand, you are one of my favorite voice performers out there. But on the other hand, like you're a damn fine actor, you know, I want to be able to see you too. Like I, I just, I, I find yeah, that upsetting. It is upsetting, but you know what? The sad thing about it is, is that it be, it, it, it's almost expected so when something is expected, it becomes almost normal. Yeah. So there's a normal, normalcy about that perspective of going, yeah, well, I'll, I guess I'll go over Asian number five and or gangster number two or, or techie number eight. And I, you that's know, a that's, lot of techies, by the way. That yeah, would have to come before you. That's a yeah. lot of techies, number eight. <laughs> oh, but that was, that was the reality of it. And yeah. it sort of just became commonplace to feel that, sadness and and upsetness yeah <laughs> you know being upset about it because it just was that was just the case it became a normal thing and you were excited if you got an audition for a gangster or taking number eight because it was actual opportunity for work actual yeah. opportunity to be on screen and it really sucks to think that like if you were like telling a kid hey just so you know you know when you go into this industry these are the parts you're going to be going out for I don't think they would necessarily say yes to going, going out to become an actor. Yeah. But as a child, you see, and as, as a lot of us, we, we just eat, eat up what the media shows us. So we, we look at ET and we look at, um, you know, whatever ent other entertainment shows there are. And you go, wow, I, I want to be on friends. I want to be on this show. I want to be starring in uh, oceans 11. It's like, Oh yeah, well, not really, you know, even like, I, I, I think I'm, I'm like an old soul. So like I listen to like old time jazz at home. Mm. I listen to like Benny Goodman and like um, Charlie Parker and stuff like that. And I'm like, 
I wanted to live in the 50s. You know, like Back to the Future, I think we discussed this, is my favorite movie. And I wanted to live in the 50s. Like, wow, that'd be so cool. It's just like, I love the era. I love the clothes. I love the yeah. music. And, and, but I never thought that if I was a Chinese person living in that era, how life would suck. Yeah. It would be terrible. You wouldn't be would welcome be, there. Yeah. Absolutely not. You would be treated absolutely different than any of those people on screen. Yeah. And that sort of facade, that fantasy sort of exists in our, at least I'll speak for myself, in my kind of perspective of the film and TV world. I was like, that was my dream, was to be a Marty McFly. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, we haven't really had that opportunity to have an Asian lead to just be a time traveler or to yeah. just be a lead. It's been really difficult without having it to be a very specific, and I think Lee pointed that out. You know, when when Asians are represented on, on screen, it's usually like because they are Asian and we have to really put it on the nose that they are Asian and this is why he's or she is there. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's frustrating. So back to your question. For animation, I feel like there's such a more opportun- more opportunity for being cast in great roles because of the fact that we're not seen, <laughs> which is kind of sad to say. That is kind of sad to say. I mean, so where does, where does diver- diversity and inclusion, um, which are what the efforts are called to address racism, white supremacy, I guess if I'm going to, I mean, I should, I guess, embrace those words as well. We should um, embrace all the words. Eh? Yeah, I should embrace all, well, not all the words. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But like, but words that are, that are going to have conversation, you know, get us talking. And, and yeah, I mean, so we've seen in you know in the dramatic on screen kind of realm, you know, the an adjustment to casting notices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what does what does authentic casting look like in the animation realm? And like, what are what has the animation industry been doing to to address, you know, racism and white supremacy and, you know, all of those, the, uh, the ugliness of the larger society. Yeah, they, they've actually have been stepping up, which is a beautiful thing. And, and um, where there is a part that could be uh, a black person or a Chinese person or a gay person or a person that's in a wheelchair, they are really seeking out those specific people, which Mm. I think is beautiful because that just goes back to the point of opportunity. Yeah. Give those people those opportunities and you'll be surprised at what happens. And I think a lot of the times that, you know, the the argument, the counter argument for like hiring uh, a BIPOC person would be, you know, wow, look at them. They haven't done anything. Like, why would we hire them? It's going to take a lot longer to coach them, to get them where we want. I'm like, well, the problem doesn't lie in that. It it lies in the fact that they were never given the opportunity to become good, like our white and uh, counterparts. You know, they were given so many more opportunities to have maybe smaller parts, to get lead parts, to get supporting lead parts. We weren't given those chances to learn on set, to learn in the room, in the booth to suck up all those amazingly talented actors and feed off of them. It's experience. And so if we're not given those chances to become great, how can you expect them to be great when you hire them, you know, and it's their second job and you're expecting a person with, uh, expecting them to, to deliver something with 15 years experience. 
Mm. Like they, you have to look at it through a different lens and not just like, just have a, 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 a very generic perspective over everything. You have to, it's like, you have to peel back the onion several goddamn layers to like find what the problem is and not yeah. just go, Oh, well, they're not good enough. They don't have experience. Give them a fucking chance. Yeah. Give them a chance. And that's why, like, I mean, as a guy, a young kid wanting, telling their parents, Hey, I want to do musical theater for a living. It was like, you had like two shows. You had Miss Saigon and King and I. And when people weren't doing that, I literally had panic attacks when I was, I remember I was like 19 years old doing this show called Spirit of a Nation where I was like a, a, a cultural dancer. Like I was hired to do the Chinese dance aspect of the show mm-hmm. and going like, okay, crap, what's happening after this? No one's doing Saigon. No one's doing King and I. Like there's no more work for me. It's, that was my perspective. And I don't think a lot of my white friends can understand that lens. Could even imagine putting those lenses on and looking through, looking at the industry through, through those lenses. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Um, in the on-screen world, uh, and I think I talked about this with actually both Lex and Lee, um, there's a, there is a kind of a pushback to, you know, the, the casting notices or the characters that are written, you know, being like, oh, like where, where a white actor might say, oh, it's such a good time to be, a, you know, a quote unquote ethnic actor, you know, and diversity is so hot right now and you're so lucky. What kind mm-hmm. of conversation, are, are there similar conversations that are happening in the animation world? And like, if so, like, what's your response? There's been some really cool moments where some people that, um, <clears throat> have been mis or, or recast because their characters are a certain ethnicity that they weren't. And um, my friend Rona has actually turned down a part because she knew that this character was Asian and they offered her that part, mm. Rona Reese. Like it was an amazingly brave thing to do for her. But she's like, I want to... S- I want to stand by what I, what I, what I preach. And yeah. it was beautiful. And I totally commend her for it. It's a, it's a hard thing to do because being an actor alone is hard. Yeah. We're the most insecure people. We're a lot of the times the most broke people in the world. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to find a place, I, a place to, to exist and a place to be appreciated. And so for a person to, to do that, to like turn down the work, during a pandemic is a very brave thing to do. So kudos to Rona for that. Oh, we're big fans of Rona Reese over here right? at the YBS Green Thing Podcast. She's a, she's a force. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it's it's like those moments of appreciation and acknowledgement speaks, you know, leaps and bounds to to the movement. And um, you know what? I'm 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 lucky that I haven't really been I, I, I don't do many film and TV auditions. And when I do, it's just at home. And um, so I haven't really heard uh, many comments about that. Yeah. About, you know, hey, good thing you're diverse or not. Good thing you're Asian. You know, sometimes well, when parts come out where it's specifically Asian, they're like, oh, yeah, good job. You're, you're, you're a shoe in. I'm like, oh, not necessarily, man. There's a lot of other people. And Asian is so funny. Asian is such a broad word. Oh, yeah, I'm sure not- you know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, because hey, I'm Asian. And yeah. you're Asian, but That's we're right. not the same. We're, right. There are dozens of countries that form, yeah. quote unquote, Asia. Exactly. And so yeah. when I, I mean, I recently, I just had an audition for, I, I received a breakdown for an audition. And I was like, this is a certain specific Asian 
Like, can you double check with casting that I can, uh, uh, that they want me to audition for this? Just because I'm like, they're using like certain terms that are culturally specific here. Yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure of that because I'm like, well, why would I, why would I take a job away from a person who is that ethnicity? Yeah. Um, can you shout out some, uh, some examples of, you know, really thoughtful, authentic casting or, um, or, or writing, because that's a huge part of the process as well. Just like what the writing is and the stories oh, are being sure. told, um, you know, where, where you see, you know, um, diversity and inclusion in action and authentic yeah. casting in action. Well, I do a show called 16 Hudson and um, mm-hmm. it's written by a wonderful woman in New York, Shabnam. And she, her, her company, Big Bad Boo, have just created amazing content for younger kids. Uh, but I'll speak about 16 Hudson because that's a show that I'm on. I play this character named Sam. Um, Who's this cute little kid. He loves to eat cake and he loves to play with his friends. And he's, he just happens to be Chinese. And they, they just like go into the culture of each kid as well as just depict them as kids as well Mm. in, in the world. And for me growing up, I never had that opportunity to see myself on TV. And I watched a lot of cartoons. I just did. I know we talked about that last time. Yeah. Yeah. Silverhawks. You know about Silverhawks. Oh, one of the um, few people that I know who love Silverhawks, you and my sister. I mean, that's it. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> so like just seeing that, like having, I'm, I'm so proud of that show because for me to go, like I'm depicting an Asian character positively on screen for young kids who can go like, mom, I see myself. Like, that's me. Hey, look, I'm on, I'm on screen. I never had that opportunity. Yeah. So even that young, you know, inception of the idea that like, oh, I exist here. That could be a potential for me to be either an animator or a voice actor or a creator and go, wow, that actually exists. For me, it didn't really exist. So I never, when I was a kid, think, oh yeah, I I, want to be a voice actor. I want to be an actor. It it was, it wasn't something that was in my realm of possibility. I mean, we um, were we were caricatures, right? If if we did right. see ourselves, like I, oh, I, I mean, my my daughter has become a thank you Disney Plus for cr- making my daughter into a huge fan of The Simpsons, um, <laughs> and but every time you know I I hear a poo now, like it, yeah. it's I mean even back then like it just it stings, it yeah. stings, you know, to know that that he's a figure of fun and he was voiced by, you know, I mean, I mean, hat, hat, like, you know, a tip of the hat to Hank Azaria who won't voice him mm-hmm. um, yeah, anymore. Right. But, you know, when you're only seeing, you only exist as a stereotype, that hurts. It hurts you or me. We'll talk about yeah. me. Uh, and, you know, you know that that's the lens through which other people are viewing you and your father and your uncle and your exactly. like as well. And it, it really. And that's the thing that, that you, you have to dissect it even further. Like I said about peeling back the layers of the onion, you have to go back to like, why are we like this? Why do we have this white supremacist ideology within so many factions of our world right now? Yeah. It's because if you, you got to look back, like the, I don't know if many people know that there was like a Chinese head tax, you know, put on uh, Canadians that came over. They shipped a lot of Chinese people over here to build the railway. Yeah. 
to work them to the bone, to give them the most dangerous jobs, to like send yeah. them into the mines. So many of them have died. And then once the railroad was completed, they, they taxed them. They're like, well, if, you, if you're in Canada and you're Chinese, you have to pay this hefty tax. Like, yeah. You survived, you know, making the paths for the railroad yeah. and you have to pay a tax. Oh, my and God, now you we're not going to let your family here. Exactly. Either- you did Storium, right? Is that why I'm I did I'm like, not. No, I didn't, didn't do Storium. You no, didn't do I did Storium. Because no. I remember that part of it. Well, I mean, I knew, know that it was a great gig for actors as mm. well. Oh my gosh. Google Storium if you're listening. It was fantastic. But, you know, they like that was one of the first places, you know, that I actually saw that particular story. Well, that's a sad told. thing that they, I, I remember like in history class or like social studies in high school, like that was. It was literally a paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like residential schools were for the First Nations. Yeah. Like it was, or not even acknowledged. Not even. I didn't not learn e- about yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And, and it's sad that that and that, and like, that's what I mean. Like it, it goes so much further back that you have to really see why our society is the way it is. If we had a tax, not even a hundred years ago, on Chinese people just for existing in this country after doing so much work and dying to make this railroad. And then you tax them. Yeah. And then you put Japanese people into internment camps. Like what kind of mentality do you think, if you are not Chinese, if you are not Japanese, if you are a Caucasian person existing Mm -hmm. in society in Vancouver and Canada, that didn't really affect you. So if something didn't affect you out of sight, out of mind, it's not my fight. It doesn't concern me. We didn't have social media back then. We didn't have a voice. We didn't have an, an ability to, to express ourselves, to express our pain. Yeah. It was just what was portrayed on the news. That's where you got the news. And guess who were the anchors? You know, guess who owned the, the network? Yeah. And who still own the networks? It's going to be biased. And if you do not have a critical mind, you'll just eat it up and, and not question it. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the theater world um, because I know that, I mean, you mentioned uh, Miss Saigon and King and I, uh, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, you've, you went on to appear in, in Mamma Mia, in Footloose, in the Lord of the Rings. And, and yeah. then, you know, Beauty and the Beast where you played LeFou. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'm curious about the experience of, of being an Asian Canadian actor in, in those shows and the experience, um, like what, what were their microaggressions? Were, was, were you reviewed in the same way? Like, what did you experience, uh, you know, as an Asian Canadian actor in roles that weren't specifically written for an Asian Hmm, Canadian person? For sure. Well, yeah, I started out in, Charlottetown, believe it or not, in uh, at a show called Somewhere in the World, where you sort of it was about Canada and you depicted all the beautiful uh, uh, nuances and and the beauty of Canada and how how it's just so diverse. And there was it was actually really cool. The director Danny Austin, there was like several different characters. So there was like a mountain man, there was a country man, there was a the city kid, and then there was like the the, the country girls. And I was like. They're gonna make me the the city the city boy, the breakdancer guy, because I'm urban. I don't really fit in anywhere else. But he made me the country guy. Hmm. So I had a cowboy hat, I had cowboy boots, and I I like sang about the prairies. And I'm like, 
that's phenomenal. That's, that's, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have chosen that. And for him to break that mold, mm-hmm. to go like, no, you can sing and you can dance like hell and you can do barrel rolls amazingly in cowboy boots. Sure. You're the, you're the country man. And I, I thought that was phenomenal. Yeah. And then I went to Toronto straight after that. And so this is like, this will be my 20th year as a professional performer, actually, because I started in 2001. Hmm. So back then, I, when I first got into like Footloose, and like you said, Mamma Mia, and I danced in movies, Bollywood, Hollywood, and, and the Music Man movie, I was, I was hired, I believe, as the token Asian representation hmm. for their show. That was my job. So that they could say, we are diverse. We are diverse, exactly. And I knew that, but I'm like, okay, I'll pay my dues. And, and like I said, it was a normal thing for me. I was definitely appreciative of the shows and of the jobs, but I also knew what I could deliver and I knew what I could give. And I definitely knew I wasn't being fulfilled and given the chance to express it fully. Yeah. So, and that's the reason why I left Toronto was because I was being so pigeonholed as the dancer and I wasn't trained as a dancer. I was, you know, an actor, a singer who just loved to move and dance around. I wasn't even trained in acting and singing, really. I went to a year at CCPA, but it was just a joy for me to, to perform. And I just felt like it was such a lack of, of my abilities to just dance in the background. Yeah. And that's why I came back over to Vancouver to s- seek out these roles and like take a big pay cut, you know, being in those mega musicals was like the, the, the top commercial theater you can do in Canada. Yeah. But I came back and I wanted to pursue good parts and good roles. And so, you know, the arts club giving me a shot to do LeFou was phenomenal yeah. to do a part that was like, hey, this doesn't look like the movie at all. This isn't a, a, a little white guy, you know, dancing around. It's like a little Asian kid bouncing around. And I loved it. And I was so happy to get have that opportunity. And, and I feel like in Vancouver, I was given those chances by by like Bill Millard and um, and uh, Max Reimer, I, I did I did uh, Le Cage Full with with him mm. at the Playhouse, and that was so much fun. And it's still it I feel like it's a theater has embraced it a lot more. Yeah. Um, in terms of of going against the type and casting against the type, which I totally appreciate. Why do you think that is? I think theater is just more progressive. Hmm. I think theater people can, can just kind of, I don't know. I, I think the thing is with, with film and TV, we're just so inundated with it. It's like anything. If you're conditioned a certain way, yeah. if you're shown white people as leads, white people as leads, white people as leads constantly, that's what you're going to expect. And that's what you crave. Yeah. In theater, yes, that was traditionally the sense. But I think that the, they're just braver people in theater. They're yeah. more willing to take a chance. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's a brave, braver, I'm not braver, but like it is, it is a, it's a riskier thing to jump on stage for two hours yeah. and have one shot at it every single night and not to do multiple takes. Yeah. It's a fucking scary thing to do. So I think in that sense, they're just risk takers as, yeah. as uh, theater goers. And, um, and, and I think the lesson that there is a lesson that the screen scene can learn from theater is that if you put 
if, if you put Vincent Tong in this role, people will come and they will believe and they will enjoy, you know, mm. and you're not going to. Now, I know that Belle in the second production that you did. You, yeah, was with that's the, right, the remounts with Shannon Chan Kent. And my daughter is, is she is Filipino. She is Indian. Mm-hmm. She's Ukrainian. She's English. Um, mm. Looks very much like Shannon. Mm. And to see, you know, and Mari must have been what, like six or seven maybe five around that age at the time. And to see Shannon on, you know, in the bus, on those bus ads. And she's like, Belle looks like me. And so she is growing up believing, you know, like seeing her her existence validated, Mm -hmm. you know, and I want to, and I love that. And I want to see more of that everywhere on screen, you know, in animation and in the theater. So let's get it. But that's what I'm saying. Like with that, that small thing, it could be small. It could be great for a child. Yeah. It could be a huge thing for a child. But to see that representation, yeah, you're right. On in animation, on on the stage, going like, wow, I can do that. That is a possibility. Yeah. And like she's Belle. She's not just a geisha or a um, what other stereotypes we can label Asian people. You know, yeah. They are performing great parts with amazing talent. And I think that's the cool thing about Invincible, the show on Prime right now, which I love. We're big fans here. And it's right? not just because my husband directed two episodes and was the CGI supervisor on all the episodes. Boom, there you go. <laughs> I know, I saw that. I saw that and I was like, Paul, that's amazing. I was so just like giddy with it. Because yeah. I, growing up, I was like, all right, who, who do I, who can I look up to in the Marvel universe? Like nobody in comic books. It was like, yeah, Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man, but like there's no, no one that really looked like me. There was like the Mandarin. If you went deeper into it with Iron Man, he's his villain dude, but like there was never anyone to really emulate or, or kind of like have as like a, a superhero in your life. And now you have Invincible, played by Stephen uh, Yun, who's amazing. I love his voice acting, by the way. He, was, he played the bully in uh, Troll Hunters. Yeah. And uh, he was phenomenal. I was like, who is this guy? He sounds so good. And yeah. he, he played this like blonde hair, like this, the cool dude in school. And I'm like, it's Stephen Yun. That's awesome. And he's kick ass at it. Yeah. And now he's this like superhero. And now I'm like, damn, okay. If I go to Comic-Con next, I want to dress up as Invincible. Yeah. I got to work out, but you know. <laughs> Like I gotta, it's just like, it's so cool to have a superhero that you're like, wow, this represents me. Just like when Miles Morales came out in, in the, the, the multiverse, yeah. in Spider-Man multiverse. It's like, wow, you have a representation of a black Spider-Man. Like how yeah. sick is that? Yeah. And, and for a lot of people that are Caucasian, they might not understand that. They're like, well, you could be Spider-Man. You're like, yeah, we totally could. But like, it means something to see someone with your complexion on screen on in, in, in an animated show. And, and then the cool thing about Invincible is that, you know, Sandra Oh plays the mom as well. Oh, she's so good. She's, she's so good. At- she, she's scary. But she's Debbie like, Grayson. <laughs> yeah. Right. Her. And, but like the fact that like, they don't have to like mention like, Oh, you know, you're Asian, you're half Asian. I'm not sure if they're going to get into that later on, but the fact that these like first few episodes are, He's just a kid. He's a kid that lives in North America and has North American problems. And that I can identify with that because I was born here. 
these are the problems that I had as well as the racist problems. But like he, he just, he's a guy that is super awkward with girls and gets picked on. Yeah. And that was my life. And now he, it, it doesn't need to be like, you know, the Buddha shrine behind, or it doesn't need to have his mom playing Mahjong. Like we don't need to like throw all the specific Asian things in there to represent us. You know, there's a, there's a whole spectrum of representation in terms of uh, our stories. Yeah. And it can be first generation or third generation. There's a plethora of stories. And I, 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 love, I love the fact that, that Invincible is here. And the, when I saw Paul's name on there as a director, I was like, damn, that is so cool. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of, proud of him and proud of you guys. Yeah. So cool. Well, I didn't do anything. I just yelled about it on social media because he's so bad at social media. So that's, <laughs> that's my job. And I also like that you use the word plethora. That's plethora. a good one. Yeah, it's a cornucopia. Oh, so <laughs> such an abundance of gorgeous words. I want to, let's end with allyship. Um, what do you think it means to be a good ally to Asian Canadian and Asian American mm. performers mm. right now in the film and TV industry? I think the fact that I'll speak for the animation world because I've seen them recast parts that were like already recorded like months prior to, and yeah. they're recasting because they've changed the design to have more representation. Hmm. And I think that's a beautiful thing that they're doing. I think it has to come from the higher ups because we can make as much noise as we want. And I think that's a good thing as well. We have to make noise in order for the higher up, the people that actually make the decisions to go, we need to change this. We need to have diverse writers in the room. We need to have writing rooms where if you're talking about a specific culture or a specific um, anything that's that you are not really an expert on, let's try to have some consultation on it. Why not? Yeah. You know, I think that would bring more authenticity to, to your, your story. And it's going to touch way more people in the correct way instead of just having assumptions. And I think having the, the producers demand that there be more inclusion, that there mm. be more diversity. And hopefully we won't have to use the word diversity in the future. It yeah. just is that we have an equal opportunity. Um, I really, yeah, I really think it has to do with the higher ups. I mean, that, that goes for like <laughs> government as well, right? Like we yeah. have to change the, the, the minds of the old guard and bring in a new way of thinking. We can't sit back on, on the past. We really have to learn from what we, what we, what we fucked up in the past yeah. and go, how can we change that? And in terms of like allyship as just human beings, you know, when all these Asian attacks happened on in, in the States and in Canada too, and all over the world, I was just devastated. There was like a week that I, I, I was just so sad. I was just, trying not to cry every day because yeah. I was just so upset about all this like attacks on elderly people, like all these popos and mamas. I'm like, mm. and old, old grandfathers are dying, getting sliced across the face just because the president, you, you know, called it a, the Kung flu and 
the Wuhan virus. And then now people can are like, sort of like they were like Manchurian candidates and now they're like activated and now they can, now they're, they're sort of like emboldened with this like hatred. Now they can do something because the higher ups told them, Hey, I feel the same way. I have these uh, racist ideas and now you can, you can too. It's really terrible. And so I was heartbroken. So when my friends reached out to me and just said like, Hey, I'm here for you. Um, if you ever want to talk, like I stand with you. It was a very moving and a beautiful um, gesture of humanity. As, as small as it is in, in these days, just a text or a phone call from all of my friends, including, you know, what I realized was like, even reaching out to my fellow Asians is something that I need to do hmm. to show them like, hey, I'm here for you. You know, because you don't sort of feel that you need to because we're all in the same boat. But I feel like just calling calling your friends who are hurt right now or can potentially be affected by this, even if they're not speaking out, is such a huge thing you can do in terms of, uh, of allyship. Or just going to support an Asian restaurant, going to, to just support those Asian businesses and just saying thank you and giving them a smile, you know. And if you ever see anyone being hurt on the street, please do something. Not You don't have to jump in necessarily, but call the cops, do something. You know, there's, there's all these videos of people just standing by and you're like, why? I don't know why this is happening. Like it just, it really boggles the mind. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that would be my, my take on allyship and just being there for each other. And, and honestly, just a few words mean so much. Yeah. Well, Vincent Tong, I sincerely thank you for your time today. And I appreciate you you very much. I appreciate Uh, you. (laughs) Where can our listeners uh, find you and follow you on the social media? Um, I think Twitter is Vincent Tong 007. And I think my, (laughs) I always say this because I don't know. I think Instagram (laughs) is VT 007. I love that it. you're mark, forming it as a question. I will have I links to uh, all of Vincent's social media accounts that I will confirm personally uh, in the you. footnotes for this episode, as well as links to uh, resources um, about, you know, fighting back against anti-Asian racism. Um, and the best advice that I can give, you know, is to, if you see it happening, make some noise you know, Mm. encourage other people to make noise. And then you are all making noise. Mm. Um, That's like, that is a very good place to start. I think. Amen. Yes. Amen. I I just amen to myself. That's so appropriate. Amen. (laughs) Amen. You can amen yourself. Okay. I'll just let you do it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks Sabrina. Uh, Thank you to our listeners. Please like and subscribe. That seems kind of trite to say after an episode like what we've just had, but that will help us find even more listeners and bring even more people to this conversation. Um, the the YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Devalet for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Find us on all the socials at YVR Screen Scene, and I can confirm that's 100% true uh, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts for free, and at our home on the web at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene.
and stop Asian hate. And cut! In the current COVID-19 environment, UBCP ACTRA, the BC Performers Union in the film and TV industry, has been working closely with industry partners, formulating sensible and practical guidelines for all cast and crew to ensure working on set is manageable and safe for everyone. UBCP ACTRA has created a dedicated COVID-19 webpage at www.ubcpactra.ca where members can find mental health resources, financial assistance information, and back-to-work strategies and updates about the current status of film production in the province of British Columbia. UBCP ACTRA knows this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for many people, and we look forward to better days ahead. We will get through this together. Please visit www.ubcpactra.ca. A message from UBCP ACTRA.